hey, it's 1989, and it was uh, it's Terra in Tinseltown, from what I heard. But then it goes straight to what this podcast is all about, which is being Extreme grotesque. Yes. Yeah, grotesque and uh, blood runs from the altar. So uh, those of you from who the are, Black Gate is closed demo from the demo, which uh, is it's kind of tough to establish when uh, the the official release of that was, since Grotesque didn't really put a lot of stuff out into the open market. But we'll, yeah. we'll get into it was that in, in the t- it was in the tape trading circuits. This is true at this time. And we'll was talk- a couple other things are going to be playing, and we will talk all about uh, the the tape trading circuit and how important that was and stuff. But. Uh, First, I'd like to raise a toast, because, Mark, we've made uh, it. Some wine and a past blue ribbon. Ah, yes. I pulled out the good stuff, the Italian stuff. You can uh, get yourself a, a fancy glass there. Ah. But, um, yeah, this is episode number 100. We, we made it, finally. and we've uh, It's quite a milestone in podcast history. Most people don't t- typically make it as long as we did. No, no. Well, it came a long way, baby. Yeah. <laughs> we were trying to figure out when we first started. I think it was uh, the very end of 07, beginning of 08. Um, yeah. winner, winner. And basically I just came, I think it was just kind of like a, what, like a half hour conversation. Like, yeah, why not? Let's, yeah. let's do it. Hey, you know, when we get together, we bullshit about metal. Why don't we just yeah. record it? Well, not makes the, sense. at the time, yeah, at the time we were living about an hour or so away. Mm-hmm. So it was like, well, let's make a day out of all this stuff too. So, yeah. And it was, uh, it was kind of a nice little event. And actually we were, we were commenting about this last night, how, uh, Mark is actually, this is the, the fourth place you've lived since, since we started the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Second place I've lived, but the fourth for yeah. Mark. So six different podcasting locations that this thing has taken taken course of. Uh, yeah, that's over, right. Over a uh, hundred episodes, you know. So, and some of the episodes, actually, if we were to really get official, we've probably done more than a hundred because we've some probably done were, like a hundred and four. We're something, double but, episodes yeah. and things, and including this very special episode, will Two-parter. be a double yes. episode as well. We didn't want to cheat you on the most crucial year in metal history, so we decided rather than uh, having to be really like tough and edit down some of the the, the the CDs that we would have liked to have played or songs we would like to play, why not just make well, it Well, we, we broke some of our rules, but basically because, I mean, in bringing some demo stuff in, purely because of the fact that this was my entry point into death metal mm-hmm. was this era and when tape trading, like before the stuff actually came out on, well, this on is, disc. So I think it was important to kind of validate this year outside of yeah. just the actual releases that came out. And for those of you who are younger out there and haven't really like read much up on the history of, of metal and stuff, uh, it's probably hard for you to understand just how important tape trading is. Um, it was the internet to, to before the internet, basically. You, yeah, you'd, basically, you'd come up with like lists. We had lists of... You know, people would you'd tape trade and they'd send a list of what they had. You send a list of what you had back, yep. and so you always had to be kind of on top of it and have like, holy crap, you've got the Eucharist demo or you know something that nobody else had to still have some kind of, I guess, cachet in the tape trading circuit. Well, in a sense, though, too, is what's strange is you know, and and Mark and I really aren't um, you know we're we're music collectors, music lovers. So um, on occasion, I will find rare CDs that are maybe out of print or impossible to find on a blog spot. And until I can purchase it down mm-hmm. the road or something. But, you know, we don't download very much. But I do know, I, I know younger people, some of my students who belong to very elite sort of file sharing groups. Mm-hmm. And a friend of ours, actually, Andy Price, uh, is, is in one of these too. And if you don't have new stuff you're to out. bring to the table, you're out. Yeah. And so it's the thing. same kind of mentality. It's just 
different rules. And in a sense, they're they're just copying and passing on. Mm-hmm. But there was more of an art to it, I think. File sharing is just so like easy and, and so empty in a way, whereas like well, tape there's trading not was that, like... I mean, tape trading made getting the mail like yeah, a religious experience every single exactly. time. It was like, oh, can't wait to get the mail every day. And it's like that, you know, and I, I understand that feeling as well from a journalist point of view from the from getting promos. You oh, know? totally. Like it, was, it was something you look forward to, but... We did a lot of posturing, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, pondering, a lot of meditating, um, and we settled on 1989 as the year. Well, and just to, to briefly go into why the hell did you have the first track off Doctor Feelgood, or at least the intro on there? That was a song we were we were going to play. You know, Taryn Tinseltown going right into Doctor Feelgood or Kickstart My Heart. We were yeah. back and forth on that one, but definitely Taryn Tinseltown kind of sets up oh. what 1989 was all about. Exactly. And this, no matter where you fall on the metal spectrum, this was a big record as far as production, as far as like pseudo. I, I don't know if you call Motley Crue metal. I'd call them a rock and roll band, but they brought a little bit more um, bombastic stuff to the forefront to the mainstream. And this was an important record. The the sound that Bob Rock was able to get was was immersive and impressive, and bands uh, outside of the the sort of sleaze rock you know, kind mm-hmm. of scene, paid attention to it. You know, bands like Slayer and Megadeth and well, Metallica would go on or, to you know, record the Black Megadeth. Album with them. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, they were listening to like how this, how thick the production was on that. And I think that really geared a lot of this sort of 90s sound in a way that sort of heavy, oh, yeah. thick, it almost defined by what Pantera became, which was this thick, meaty kind of riff band. And I think know? like Pantera, musically, I think the whole Bob Rock production method is almost something that became the overproduced, overpolished garbage later on. Sure. It had Absolutely. its place at the time. Yeah. And, and you know, no one's going to fault Motley Crue for, for this record. I mean, they cleaned up, they got sober, and they put this together, and it yeah. was a pretty pretty complete work. You know, probably too many ballads and too many, uh, I guess... She goes down, Sex, though, you know? Sexual innuendo songs for my taste. It's not a record I put on and listen to all the way, but when I was a kid, this is one of the first... Uh, I broke three cassette tapes as a kid. Def uh-huh. Leppard Hysteria, GNR Appetite for Destruction, and Dr. Feelgood, because I overplayed them, and yeah. uh, cassettes just didn't have the wear and tear life that, that CDs and, and other things have. But, uh, yeah, so I... I definitely big influence on me you know this is a fifth fifth sixth grade tape for me and uh so we wanted to entice you and and, and lure you in with a little <laughs> we, we wanted to see if maybe uh there was some shock and awe like oh my god are they oh, really gonna on, play really? Uh, motley crew dr feelgood but then we went to grotesque and yeah. um let's talk about grotesque for a moment and why it fits into the the spectrum of um, 1989 and what was important about it well, Thomas Lindbergh, we've got, you know, at Mr. At the Gates himself yeah. and, uh, you know, about 45 other bands. Kristen Wallen. Kristen Wallen, who'd go yeah. on to do... Uh, well, Liars and Wait. Liars and Wait. Deceiver, Diabolique. Uh, yeah, Diabolique. That was uh, what I was going to Well, album covers for Emperor and Dissection and several other bands. Hypocrisy was, of Late, too. Yeah, yeah he's, some, he's some pretty prolific. Artwork. So, I mean, those those two guys, and, and being such a kind and of... Elf uh, Svensson was also in Grotesque, the original guitar player for At the Gates. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So it was kind of uh, it was like the Gothenburg scene before the Gothenburg mm-hmm. scene, kind of. And I think these guys are kind of, I don't know at the time, but they're, they have a lot of like reverence looked upon them now because mm-hmm. how, I mean, pre, I mean, you listen to this and you listen to like the the nihilist demos or the dismember demos, and these guys were clearly, I don't know if it's because they're a little older, they're more insulated, but they have their completely own sure. sound that's definitely a lot more. I think polished and realized than a lot of the Swedish stuff was at the time. Well, and then later, you know, like later on, you'll hear a uh, band Tiamat and Tiamat and Grotesque and, and even a band like Merciless, which we played on the 1990, uh, the part two 
the last episode. Um, those bands really were sort of the first out the gate of extreme mm-hmm. metal and Sweden, and even pre yeah pre uh, Tiamat Treblinka sure yeah yeah with the Treblinka stuff but they didn't really put out like I guess proper like albums they were more like demos, demos and, and stuff yeah. like that but in terms of like getting stuff out that sounded fairly decent mm-hmm. you know those were like the first bands to to do that and. Um, you know, unfortunately, the grotesque stuff wasn't available for a long time until '96 when they put a little collection called "In the Embrace of Evil" together. Basically, their entire discography. Yeah, so we just kind of wanted to uh, start with that, even though we're not necessarily going to dive right into the extreme uh, death metal stuff yet. That will be coming down the road, but uh, it seemed like an appropriate uh, opener. Plus, you get to hear that awesome Lindbergh scream at the end. That sort of yeah. like, you know, kind of vomiting scream. But uh, you know, '89 was a was a was a strange year as well. This was the first year of the heavy metal Grammy, the infamous Jethro Tull Grammy. Uh, was 1989? Did they put a record out in '89? Uh, well, I guess it was a it was a lifetime achievement. For no, it playing was, it was it was the one that beat Injustice for All for Metallica. Metallica lost to Jethro Tull for the heavy metal Grammy, and that's kind Grammys of like, are are dumb. Well, exactly. They don't but mean it, anything. But it, but it's it again symbolic of just how how misunderstood of a genre heavy metal has been yeah. and always will be, you know, in a, in a Let's sense. Let's pick a band that mainstream. had their heyday 30 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, just the bands that get in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I mean, heavy metal has been kind of like constantly disrespected, you know? Yeah. It's only like in retrospect now that you're starting to see like VH1 Classic almost like, I think the main thing that people tune into that show for is metal. Oh, totally. You know, I think it's pretty like much going to turn in, it's you know? become a metal station, but I think... Uh, metal didn't have the longevity that, like, even like you know, punk rock predated it by you know ten years or so, really. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's just now that we're starting to see, like, you know, all the They're podcast yeah. books are being documented. The stuff like bands have been around twenty plus years that have longer, bigger discographies than most established bands out yeah. there. Yeah. And I think now people are feeling like, well, I guess it's not going away. We might as well tap into a market. Sure. sure. <laughs> At least that's where VH1's coming from. I think. But definitely in '89, you know, extreme metal was was kind of thought of as probably kind of a, a hidden joke. You know, probably something it that was just not even known of. Snickered about. You know, yeah. if you knew about it, or it was sort of just like a one-off kind of thing. You know, this is the heyday of hair metal. You know, I mean, again, Doctor Feelgood, Guns N' Roses, things like that. But um, you know, some other releases that that were kind of put out in this year that we're we're not going to get an opportunity to to play. You had um, a couple of, I guess, prog metal masterpieces, uh, Voivod's Nothing Face, which is a pretty, you know, revered record, and then um, kind of a prog uh, tech metal record, Watchtowers, Control and Resistance, which was the very last song that got cut from our, our show for mm-hmm. time reasons. So we, well, the King's X, if you want to go on the prog route. Well, and, and King's X, which I'll, I'll go on a limb and, and defend a record like Gretchen Goes to Kansas. It's my favorite King's X along with Dogman. And King's X is one of those weird bands that, like, um, you know, people that work at guitar shops really, really love, you know, in a weird way. <laughs> it's but, right next to the Rush collection. Yeah, you know, I guess I think of them in the same way. Like, we're, Mark and I um, and Chris and, and a lot of our friends are very much into a band like Porcupine Tree. And I think they're along those same bands. They're a niche kind of cult band that, mm-hmm. you know, they're not going to be playing the radio. They don't really have MTV hits. But, but they, they have, have a pretty strong fans. following, yeah. you know. And I can respect them, you know, for that. And, and King's X, unfortunately, got, like, the, the kind of Christian metal tag at first. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were a power trio. Uh, but the lead singer actually came out of the closet in, like, 98 
and uh, the church condemned him for it. So he basically said, fuck you, and he stopped being Christian. So I, you got to... See, gotta, if, if they would have came out in the uh, early 2000s, man, they would have made a oh, ton sure. of money sure. with how the, the Christian rock market was at yeah, the time. Yeah, well, or even the kind of rebirth of the, the prog rock market in yeah. a way. They kind of came out in a really weird time. So King's X, Gretchen Goes to Kansas, kind of considered one of their masterpieces. Bathory, Hammerheart, which is kind of the start of their Viking metal stuff right off of Bloodfire Death. Uh, Blind Guardians Follow the Blind, which is a, a personal favorite of Mark's mm-hmm. here and always a, a definite favorite of Requiem Metal, the, the band itself. DRI's Thrash Zone. You had the the second full length from Soundgarden, Love and Love, which was... Um, I don't, I don't love that record as much as, say, Ultra Mega OK, their debut, and then, of course, Bad Motor Fingers mm-hmm. is the next one that's going to come. But it's kind of a nice in-between kind of sophomore record. Uh, Toxic, think this, if you're into sort of classic thrash. You and I were rocking out to some Toxic. Well, they really, a while ago. They have really awful album covers, but I think yeah, you yeah. and I were like, yeah, they're pretty sweet. <laughs> uh, Nine Inch Nails, Pretty Hate Machine, a pretty important Which record, huge, for, yeah. for, especially for the 90s. You know, this is really laying out the 90s. And then uh, Headless Cross from Sabbath. Oh, yes. Is that Tony Martin? On that, I can't. I think oh, there's Iomi on it. I don't know who the hell yeah, else is on it. I don't think Butler's on it. Or no, uh, no. Or I'm Bill trying Ward. to think of who sing. But it might be Tony Martin. But don't quote me on that one. I'm not. Could have been Iomi for all I know. Yeah. It's 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 one of their least I think uh, acknowledged records. Oh yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Saint Vitus is five, kind of the last vinyl record. Dark Angel leaves scars. Sarcophago rotting. If you're a Brazilian uh, black thrash fan. Uh, the official release of Repulsion, Horrified, yes. was 1989, even though it was actually 1986. And then a personal favorite of mine, Skid Row, Skid Row, the debut from Sebastian yes. Bach. Uh, Ted Bundy was executed in 89. It was the end of the Soviet war in Afghanistan. And uh, they put a, uh, a, a the Ir- Iranian government put a hit on Salman Rushdie for There's the a specific, satanic uh, verses. What, what, do you remember what the specific term for the, the bounty they put on him? Uh, it was... Uh, a, Oh, gosh. Because it was thrown around so much back in the time. I'm like, yeah, what does that even I'll, mean? And I'll, I'll, it was I'll, on the news like constantly back then. Who knows? I was like, Satanic Versus? That sounds like a cool yeah, one. Like, like oh, cool that's, one. You know, when I heard it was about, I'm like, yeah, I don't give a shit. Yeah. He's funny. He's cool. He's on yeah. uh, Bill Maher a lot. But. And one other thing before we kind of dive into the, the craziness of the music and stuff like that is we want to also tell you to uh, go to the website, requiempodcast.com. To find info about the contest that we're running for this very special hundredth episode with mm-hmm. uh, Albert from Decibel and uh, and several other uh, avenues, so there's going to be lots of swag to give away. I'm yeah. not sure. Depending on how much stuff we get in, it might be uh, several people might get stuff, which I'm kind of leaning toward doing that anyways. But at least three people will get a sure a box of junk. Yep. So we've got uh, a lot of really cool stuff to give away. Um, we're still sort of waiting for uh, some of the more specific details from Albert. Uh, but he's definitely on board, and, and he's a big fan, and Decibel are big supporters of what we do. So uh, so it's kind of cool. We made it here, 100 mm-hmm. episodes. So, But let's get into the tunage. Um, we've got kind of a set of thrash coming up. Uh, this is an odd year for thrash. None of the the big guns, I guess. Would you uh, say it's the elimination of thrash? It is the elimination. <laughs> it's the beginning of the end of, of thrash. But uh, it's kind of cool because some of the second-tier bands get to, get to step up to the plate this mm-hmm. year. You had a, a, a band Overkill out of uh, New York, which is a, a band that. Were they only, New York or Jersey? Yeah, uh, that, that, that area, East Coast. It's you know, damn close. Um, so. The they were kind of a band. I think people like myself and Mark overlooked when we were younger. They well, kind of, Bobby Blitz was almost a, a caricature of a frontman. Yeah. Too, and then like the more I listen to this stuff, the more it's like 
you take you take metal and punk and throw them together and that's with the bass playing the, yeah i mean just the energy i mean they're they're really a great Dude, band that only great like basis. over a couple last couple of years have i really appreciated sure and i remember uh, a friend of mine had horoscope that was um, a big record on tape with rob moylan and uh who we know his brother was a big metal fan he's coming to a record store a lot too but uh i used to borrow that from him and Dig coma and some mm-hmm. of that stuff, but I never really bought Overkill until the vocals recently. were so over the top that yeah. that was when I was still on my anti like Merciful Fate King Diamond phase. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Else. I just I didn't get it yet. But uh, this uh, Years of Decay, some people consider this to be kind of their their masterpiece. It's definitely their transitional record where they kind of got a little more experimental and stuff. But the song we've got is called Elimination, and uh, it was a single. It uh, uh, strip mines the Masters of Puppet riff. Pretty heavily. Yes, it does. Uh, One note different. But uh, the, of note, for those of you who are big Overkill fans, this was the last record from founding guitarist Bobby Gustafsson. So that's kind of a big deal for Overkill. Didn't he fans. pass? He passed away. That I, I don't want to. I don't, that I don't know. He okay. may have. He may have. Uh, but I thought I might have heard that. But and then we've not. got uh, a, another second tier thrash band out of the Seattle area, Metal Church, Blessing Disguise. Uh, <sighs> Unfortunate t- name. Not a not a terrible yeah. band. No, Badlands. Great tune. Um, uh, very very dynamic, and also a lot of priestisms that we are noticing. Some Helford. Oh, vocally, yeah. Totally. Even some of seventies priest influence on the the kind of emotion in the song. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty rocking tune. And then Testament, Practice What You Preach, ah. which um, kind of a divisive record for some Testament fans. A lot of people... Uh, it's the first one I bought. ...thought they sold out on this. They were trying to go a little too Metallica. Because if you look at the but Metallica didn't sound like this at that time. Order, yeah. They were pretty... You know, there was some kind of edgy stuff, and this was kind of more like... I, I might be looking through it through, you know, Rose well, Glasses, sure. too. But I like the record. I, I really do. I do like this and Souls of Black, even though that's kind of thought as a kind of a poo-poo record yeah. but after seeing like what they did after souls of black with uh what came out after that uh, demonic and then uh, well ritual was ritual a pretty was pretty boring. terrible record i like low and demonic demonic's all right i'm a big low and um the comeback record with lombardo and de giorgio and all those guys uh yeah they had yeah that they had a couple right. i think turd right they, i don't think they knew what to do in because they basically didn't stop all the other thrash bands like went away or changed drastically sure. and they're like Except well Slayer. i guess we're gonna do but Slayer. Uh, Slayer always anomaly. took like four years off in between each record so they were fine yeah. but yeah testament was always looking for a direction you know and they finally one of the weird bands that actually well chuck billy being a fantastic thrash vocalist is a pretty damn good death metal vocalist too <laughs> so like actually experimenting with that mm-hmm. stuff with uh uh and even eric peterson being pretty into the whole extreme metal scene sure. i and think kind had of a wonderkin and, and skolnick you know yeah. you pull off really anything but we got nightmare coming back to you from practice what you preach uh after metal church and then we're going to end things with uh, a british thrash metal band which you don't hear much about the british thrash. sabbat sabbat and we'll talk more about sabbat when we come back so enjoy uh, elimination from overkill e- Oh, <laughs> 
That was Sabbath's The Dark Horse's Dream of Nightmares from Dreamweaver. Uh, it's not quite a title. Yeah, it's quite a quite a mouthful. It's a cool title. It's almost like wishes were horses. Yeah, well, it kind of reminds me of uh, <laughs> uh, what was, uh, do androids dream of electric sheep? Kind of has that same. It's like that mixed with George Harrison's Dark Horse. Yeah, there you go. So Philip K. Dick meets George <laughs> Harrison. But uh, yeah, this record um, is the debut full length from these guys, and and definitely thrash coming out of England was such a weird thing because the punk movement and the crust movement and some of the stuff was so prevalent in the grindcore mm-hmm. movement that grew up with with napalm and all those you know extreme noise oh, yeah. you know so like there wasn't really a great place for thrash in the UK and that's why you so very rarely hear about them acid rain acid rain and uh, there's not guys, a ton yeah. yeah there's not a lot but Sabbath was kind of interesting this record uh, Dreamweaver was based off of a novel by Brian Bates called the way of the word uh, which dealt with um, kind of Christian missionaries descending on paganistic uh, Druid England culture and in, stuff in the yeah. old days. So kind of a cool little subject matter. And the guy that was interested in it was uh, Martin uh, Walkier. Is that how you pronounce it? Walker? Uh, the guy who ended up singing for Skyclad, who was the vocalist. For yeah, Sir for some, Sabbath. I always want to think of uh, Valdemar Skelskera or whatever the hell the guy's <laughs> name is. But yeah. Oh, uh, Sorchetta Sor- or whatever the, <laughs> exactly. the German dude. But, um, yeah, and so also uh, he went on to form a kind of a pagan Irish metal band, Skyclad. I don't really know how to describe them. Uh, Skyclad was very, I mean, they're very heavy, like some death metal elements, but there was a lot of kind of uh, folky Renaissance fair-isms as well sure. as to, to the music. But there was enough, at least the first record, I remember I, I got a promo of it, and I was I had a poster of it in my living room, yeah. if that tells you anything. So it was it was decent, but it had almost like it was like a more upbeat version of Primordial. Like, okay, it, yeah. it wouldn't be surprised if they'd go from some sweet riff to almost a jig. See, I think I borrowed a Skyclad record from Chris because when I first started hanging out with you guys, I basically absorbed everything that you everything every band that you guys interviewed in Requiem. Mm-hmm. I just thought was relevant. Wow, there's some ones, lots that weren't exactly. Resurrection for like. But like at issue five, six, and seven, you mm-hmm. know, so not the early, early stuff. But like you did a Skyclad interview, so I was like, oh well. I think we liked him a ton. Yeah. So I, which I'm sure it's it's probably fine now. I, I just got, I think I had my fill because they had you know 45 people in the band and they put out lots of records. Sure, sure. And then the other guy uh, in Sabbath that's kind of of note is Andy Sneap. Um, who the guitar player who went on to produce a lot of records, a ton of records, which um, I can't think of anything right off. Well, I know he's Arch done, Enemy stuff. He's right? done some Arch Enemy, yeah. Nevermore, a lot of the Century Media yeah. stuff, you know. And he's good, good, you know, good producer for sure. But uh, worth mentioning. And Sabbath, uh, interesting band. You know, this record, Dreamweaver, and uh, was it the History of Time? I can't even remember the History of Time to Come. There's just the two, which right? was the debut. Yeah, and okay. then this was the second record. Um, they're they're both pretty solid records, and they've been reissued by Sanctuary in pretty nice packages for relatively no money at all. They have I picked they them have, both up. They have nice liner notes and everything, so it's uh, good stuff. But uh, next, we're gonna sort of geographically navigate our way. Uh, let's through, go to Switzerland, uh, dude. Through uh, through Europe, we're gonna go to Switzerland. Imagine if you were a roadie for Celtic Frost exactly. and form your own band. It would be Coroner. It would be Coroner. And imagine if Tom G. Warrior produced uh, some of your early exactly. Stuff. And, you know, from, from Switzerland, and we'll come back to Corner in a moment, we're going to drive up to uh, Germany, and then we're going to drive up to Denmark, and then we're going to cut a little over into the Netherlands. So yeah. we're going to take a little tour of uh, Northern Europe here. <laughs> Should be fun. A geographic but, uh, tour. No More Color. Uh, this is a, a hard record to find. Um, I, you have it. The funny thing is, up until 
Probably a I couple mean, years ago, two, three years ago. Yeah, I think I, I've, I've had all these on MP3 for quite a while, and I actually just went out and got... I think there's four or five records. I've got like the four... There's really only like three that are, are really worth grabbing. Uh, yeah, the last, very last one is kind of a turd, but when we were at Death Fest this year in Maryland, that's the most corner shirts I'd ever oh, yeah. seen. And then we look on, uh, use the iPhone app, look at the Amazon, and for some reason, I mean, I got these for $3 a piece. Yeah. They're like $30 a piece now. And they're now, like the roof. I think they're, they're kind of making a comeback. They're a band that I've started to pay attention to in the last few years. I found Mental Vortex used, but I still don't have a, an actual gem copy of No More Color. But mm-hmm. uh, it's a fantastic record, and... What's what's odd about the band is they're not they're not like Celtic Frost in a, in a sense they they more harken to the the German thrash scene in a way, but but they have a, a very, very dynamic lead guitar player who's like a virtuoso. Yeah. But like know? vocally, I think vocally is probably the closest thing they are to Celtic Frost, a little more sure. gruff. Sure. But even if you're familiar with a lot of the other bands in that swing in that swing in that scene, uh, the Swiss kind of metal scene. Uh, Samael mm-hmm. has, has a lot of similar, like even like the way they construct riffs. Sure, and it's weird sense. these little geographic pockets that almost like you know Germany did the same thing. Produced well, these very Elastis specific riffs. Was another band that sounded very, similar which is to bizarre Samael. because there's not a ton of bands coming out of that area, but yet they all have this weird kind of commonality. Sure, it's like the Finnish. You can always tell yeah. Finnish guitar and, and Finnish production back in the day had that really warm analog sound all the time. Yeah. So, but Coroner definitely, uh, if you can get a hold of this record, definitely worth. worth I think you worth can get grabbing. them on iTunes too. Or something, but for sure. Uh, so we got "Read My Scars," which has uh, some great guitar playing, and then, like I said, we're going to navigate over to Germany uh, with two bands that we've talked uh, uh, pretty extensively about. In fact, mm-hmm. we've done a show on Creator. But Extreme Aggression, for my money, is my favorite Creator. I don't know. What I think it's the best Creator record, front to back, that really captures all the energy early mm-hmm. on. I think uh, Coma Soul is a fantastic record. Coma Soul is probably more dynamic. It's more dynamic. I think I it's like more refined. Listening to Extreme Aggression more, yeah. for some reason, and it's got probably uh, pound for pound the most lyrics out of any <laughs> record I've seen in a while. Which, speaking of lyrics, I, I want to come back to Sabbath for a moment because mm-hmm. one of the interesting things about the Sabbath lyrics was that they were endless. Like, how Martin would have been able to... Epic poetry. Oh, my God. It was just epic poetry. And I think, remember, I remember Chris talking about this, that they, Sabbath's, not only their sound, but also their lyrical and their compositional approach was very influential on a lot of the Gothenburg bands, specifically Dark Tranquility. Oh, yeah. We mentioned that in the Dark Tranquility show. Yeah. I mean, just how, like, just... It, it, it's almost like they never it never ends they never repeats and how mm-hmm. you remember all that when you're performing live yeah, when you're young I guess but anyway sorry back to uh, to Creator Extreme Aggression uh, go check out the Creator show he did they're yeah. fantastic and yeah I was just saying that's I think that's probably the best the, probably the most indicative of what Creator's about record mm-hmm. front to back fantastic record so we got Love Us or Hate Us on the way which uh, you know Millie doesn't give a fuck and he'll tell you all about it that's right and then uh, a record that I've come to love recently. Sodom Agent uh, Orange. I've had it for a while, uh, but it just is not one I've listened to a lot. Because you got to kind of be in the right mood for, for Sodom. But this is a rockin' <laughs> yeah, record. That's true. Rockin' record. And, uh, well, a lot of people are more familiar with... Uh, the Persecution Jesus. Mania? Persecution Mania and... Uh, what Obsessed by Cruelty. Yeah, my, yeah. My, I've got there's so much. You hit a certain age with so many stupid song titles and albums or whatever. But this this was reissued by I think Steamhammer in the mm-hmm. mid nineties. SPV Steamhammer, yeah. And uh, that's when I really kind of because that's when I was getting into like destruction and all this stuff as well as more European mm-hmm. uh, thrashy bands. It was just kind of like proto death metal stuff. And uh, that's when I was like huge into. Them. I was listening to it like night and day. And then I bought I picked up uh, Engine Orange and then I kind of sat in a shelf for a long time. 
but go every time I go back and listen to him, like I need to pull this out more. It's such a great record. Sure. And it's varied. It's a really varied record. And as Sodom went on, they always get this kind of uh, tag as being ah, they're they're the kind of like the meatheads of the group uh, of the they're of like that the, scene. the Wicket stepchild of the German yeah like oh, these guys are just kind of they're just not as dynamic or uh, innovative or uh, talented as any of the other bands. But really, as they go along, they've got great guitar tone. Even an album as bad as. Well, as perceivably bad as uh, oh, I can't even think of what it's called. Tapping the vein. Tapping the vein. That's yeah. Terrible cover. Yeah. It's a fantastic record. It's really good. It's solid. It's more thrash than it is metal. Yeah. But it's like more Metallica than Metallica at, at points. Sure. You know, even with like acoustic stuff and yeah, just well, like the the thrash muted palm stuff is great. And it's it's funny because I listen to Sodom probably more than Destruction. You know, I mean, Creator's uh-huh. probably the, the the German thrash band that I listen yeah. to the most. I went know. on Destruction phases forever. Have you? Okay. See, and it just it just depends. Special Invasion. I want to learn on a guitar so bad. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's because I own more Sodom early on. Destruction okay. is harder to get a hold of. But Agent Orange, that's cool about this record, is also an anti-war record. I mean, it's got a lot of anti-war lyrics and stuff, which uh, was, was pretty conscientious of the metal scene at that point, and especially in the Cold War 80s and stuff. And Tired and Red, uh, good tune, and features a really awesome kind of Opeth-like uh, acoustic interlude. Oh, Opeth about before the, Opeth. Yeah, about the, the minute 46. Uh, it's, it's what reminds me of that. And then it comes out with a really badass uh, thrash thrash groove so um you will enjoy that pairing and uh then we got some king diamond and some pestilence on the way but we'll we'll talk a little bit more about the diamond and the pestilence when we come back so enjoy coroners uh read my scars from no more color creators love us or hate us from extreme aggression and tired and red from sodom's agent orange
to tell what is right for us. We don't give a fuck anyway. Try to steal imagination from us. Things we believe in, we will never be trained, never be
That was Out of the Body from Pestilence's Consuming Impulse, King Diamond's Sleepless Nights from Conspiracy, and then we heard Sodom, Creator, and Coroner before that. Um, so we journeyed to Denmark and uh, into to, to, to the Netherlands. And we've talked yes. about the King before uh, quite often on many King's of one of my shows. favorites. I love the King. So we've had this Mercy is our, uh, on a couple Isn't this episodes. the last uh, Mickey kind of, D record, This correct? is the last Mickey D record. It's the last King Diamond I own. Actually, for me, I ended at conspiracy. Uh, I know that's, you have stuff beyond, uh, but it's not essential. I think yeah. this is the last. It's probably the last essential mm-hmm. diamond record. And you said this is the first diamond song you heard. Sleep Sli- I remember seeing the video. Yeah, which that's is cool. Yeah, and I was just laughing. I was like, "What in the hell is this?" Because <laughs> it's almost. I mean, like the lyrical content and musically, it almost feels like it's almost like Judas Priestish or something. Sure. But then you see this guy dancing around with corpse paint and with his microphone made out of skulls. Yeah, yeah. It's like, what? It, we've talked uh, pretty exclusively about, you know, how it was hard for us to get into King Diamond at first, but now, you know, just keeps of appreciation. Oh, you know, it's, and it's so it's so influential. I mean, yeah. the, this and Fate on, on, on Black Metal well, and Well, and you had a great uh, SAT uh, illusion uh, about Merciful Fate and King Diamond. <laughs> yes, what, I, what did you basically think? that... Uh, it, what, what Merciful Fate was was like when when Ozzy was in Sabbath, mm-hmm. and this King Diamond era stuff. Not and not just because it's a, it's the singer going off and doing a solo thing, but this reminds me so much of Ozzy stuff purely in the tone that it's less well, it's less Randy aggressive, Rhodes, it's more Lee flamboyant. Kind of yeah, yeah. So yeah, it was sure. that really kind of, and it's not that it's not. I don't think it's any kind of like huge epiphany that well, of this, but as I far as like Hank, tonality, Hank Sherman's riffing was was more in line with, I guess, the the style that an Iomi would have done. It wasn't as like flashy, whereas like King Diamond mm-hmm. seemed to it be was, more technical. I think there's more aggressive, and, yeah, more aggression in both of those earlier two yeah, bands than yeah, yeah. than the solo Definitely. debuts. But King never had bad mom hair like Ozzy did. That is true. That is true. <laughs> or uh, any bad uh, kind of like sequent suits and purple jumps. No, he, he's gone for his top hat, but I gotta give it to him that he I like the top hat. He he's kept the mustache off. for, you know, thirty some years now. He kept the mustache when it wasn't cool and now it's come back to being trendy and, and exactly. again. So uh, the, And he didn't cover it with makeup either. Yeah. You, you don't you don't cover something up that beautiful. The king is a the king is a brilliant guy. <laughs> but uh definitely conspiracy if you you know if you don't have any of the King Diamond stuff, get get all that eighties stuff uh, up to eighty nine and, mm-hmm. and that's a that's a good stopping place. And then pestilence is consuming impulse which has uh, some cool templates on it. Not only is out of the body, you mentioned that you noticed a lot of the kind of testimony of ancient type. Oh, like the riffing. And, and things like yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. The way the song's put together and just having having heard testimony of the ancients first, then going back and listen to it, consuming impulse, it was like, man, this sounds like absolute turd. Yeah. But that was, you know, young ears that were used to, you know, thanks to Bob Rock, that type of, uh, you know, <laughs> you were looking for that meaty Morris sound. Yeah. Every, kind of where I could production. hear every little, everything, everything was separated. Yeah. And this is a little bit more, uh, I think of a, of a tight, um, 
kind of more of a flat, but it also has to do, I think, with the, the weird thing about Pestilence has always been there, the way they tune their guitars. It's this weird, almost like off-key, weird, mm-hmm. uh, minor-sounding. Yeah, and you definitely know a Pestilence riff when you hear one. That's yeah, and typically they, they always play slightly weird time signatures, but usually like fast drums, but with slow, weird, off-time guitar, mm-hmm. too, which I don't remember hearing it as much back on this album, but I do now. Well, and it's probably you probably weren't like trying hard to like get much out of it, because you weren't really It was just another CD in the stack for a exactly. while. Exactly. And uh, Martin Van Drunen on vocals. Yes. Uh, what uh, I think he goes on and does some important ah, stuff. Fix. Yeah, one of my Sphinx one of my favorites. Bullets. Yeah. yeah. And we've uh, and both were briefly until his hair yeah. fell out and he left. That is true. That is true. <laughs> so this is a cool record for that because not only is it kind of the the first really established pestilence record, uh, but it's also the the kind of first major appearance of Martin Van Drunen mm-hmm. in the metal extreme metal scene. So, uh, and in Pestilence will go on to do kind of bigger and better stuff with, with Spheres and Testimony of Ancients. But I'd say Testimony of Ancients. Spheres, I think they kind of jumped the shark on that one. Yeah, that's a, a little too... They were trying to go the, the atheist kind of route and uh, it just didn't if, work if out. If they would have had another album before that, I think it would have been yeah, fantastic. I think they needed more evolution for sure. But Patrick Melly, a great guitar player, can't go wrong. And we actually got an opportunity opportunity to see uh, Pestilence live at uh, Maryland Metal Fest. They were quite good. Yeah. Although it was hotter than hell out. Yeah, it was, it was really oppressive. sunny at the time. Oppressive. So I only watched them for two songs. <laughs> but out of the body, uh, great soloing and stuff. So, But, uh, alright, we got a short set coming up. This will be the set that will kind of link uh, the two downloads together. So we kind of purposely kept it short. And uh, we'll talk briefly just about two bands that, that kind of fit together in this set. And well, it also does the, a Nine Inch Nails, Pretty Hate Machine, tertiarily kind of fits in Yes, this. you could throw them in. If we had more room, we, this is where we would fit Nine Inch Nails in. Because we're talking about Ministry and Godflesh. And we've, uh, we've already done a Godflesh show. So, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully if you've listened to that show, you know a lot about them. And it's no surprise that we would include... I think Ministry's made it on another show for Psalm 69, We right? did Psalm 69 for the 92 show. Okay. Yep. So. And uh, but yeah, Godflesh. I mean, Street Cleaner. This is their masterpiece, undisputed. No one, no one's gonna, you know, argue with this. They actually reformed for uh, Hellfest. Uh, we were just reading yeah. about in a decibel issue. And then Ministries, the mind is a terrible thing to taste. And be- that that was a big record. Yeah. That was a huge crossover record for uh, punks and metalheads and any other people that were remotely yeah. into. Well, you know, the goth crowd was even sure. into it as well. So that was another huge kind of record i think and godflesh was i think a big crossover record as well because later on so here you have this guy coming out of the punk or out of the punk grind scene that was making an industrial record that was like you know had some techno beats on it at time you know i mean it was just a it's just a weird weird band well broderick was a guy i think that that he kind of followed his own like inner you know what what, he didn't follow trends (laughs) at all he kind of like did whatever whatever uh you know i think what was his vision of music and it was usually it seemed like it had more um even though you've got those industrial elements, it doesn't come across as like Ramstein industrial no, or not at all. or like Das uh, or a lot of this other terrible like I mean, overly German Gothic stuff. I would rate Street Cleaner is just as heavy in its own weird way as like Altars of Madness was this year and, and oh yeah, Napalm Harmony Corruption. And, you it's know, I mean, it's it a just, completely different sonic spectrum and yeah. and coming from I think completely different, uh, not the heavy metal background quite so much as probably like the Swans and a lot of yep, stuff like that. Absolutely. Yeah. And probably like bits of like you know Sonic Youth and a lot of the whole New York the noise stuff no was, yeah New York noise and out stuff for sure and Jorgensen what he did with Ministry this is like the transitional record because as good as uh uh shoot the album was Stigmata I'm drawing so I'm like, Land of Rape and Honey oh Land of Rape and Honey Land of Rape and Honey was it wasn't like 
super powerful and super heavy. This was the first record where you really sensed a metallic element like mm-hmm. all over the place. Oh, yeah. You know? And uh, the two songs we picked out to play for you from Mine is Terrible Thing to Taste, Breathe, which is kind of repetitive, but uh, also has, kind of packs a really nice punch to it. And then from Godflesh, we've got Wound, uh, which is a song we didn't play when we did the, the, the Godflesh uh, show. Uh, mm-hmm. Boy, about a year ago, probably. Yeah, something like that. It's a ways back. So, yeah, I was living here at the time, so it's within a year. But uh, yeah, and this is a two two solid bands. And again, you, most of you are probably familiar with Ministry on some regard. We talked a lot about them on uh, the 1992. And if show. you just know them from their uh, newer stuff, and you got a little sour taste, go back and listen to this stuff because this is kind of weird. They're, I think they're really relevant. Sure, Atlanta Rape and Honey, this and Psalm 69 are. are Those are the three you need. Everything after that, I think, are kind pretty, of turn, pretty dark side of the spoon. But yeah, pretty forgettable. But yeah, yeah so we're gonna end it with. Uh, with breathe and then follow find your next download find your next download right Indeed. next to this one we'll start it off with a wound from uh, God Flesh the Street wound from God Flesh and that will also transition to Faith No More Zombie Eaters which we'll uh, we'll talk about Faith No More when we, uh, when we join you in part two uh, download so take your time we'll see you in a little bit yeah enjoy
Hey, did you miss us? We're back. And you just heard... Uh, zombie God Eaters. F- oh, did we? Yeah, we just heard Zombie Eaters from Faith No More and then Godflesh prior to that. Ah, see, I didn't confusing, see that. Yeah, it's confusing. Well, these two-parters, it's confusing. Well, and plus there's a lot of edits that we've had to do on this well, page. Well, and to celebrate, here we go. Ah, there it is. There it is. Ah. I'm, I'm tapping the wine, so... Tap in the vein of wine. Mm. Delicious. From the uh, from the, the southern boot region of Italy, Puglia. Ah, this is uh, Pabst Blue Ribbon <laughs> from the southern region of uh, Milwaukee. Of Milwaukee. Ah, Milwaukee Metal Fest. See, there's a connection. Mark and I were actually just making connections. Uh, if you, uh, We just made a connection between Patrick Swayze and Nocturnal Culto in nine steps. Only nine steps. Only nine steps. Unbelievable sight. Surprisingly, Six degrees uh, of Black Sabbath. Find the site. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's, it's amazing how uh, Mickey D and Charlie D'Angelo really kind of like unite the pop and the metal world together. So. Exactly. But speaking of weird stuff, uh, Faith No More. Uh, the real thing, this was a, um, a huge record. Mm-hmm. I mean, this this uh, was a epic. The song and Falling to Pieces were two songs that really kind of define MTV when I was younger, in a way, mm-hmm. uh, in terms yeah. of artful video production, just in terms of something that really stuck out as being really different, but yet it was kind of accepted by the mainstream, in a way. Which was kind of weird, because it was... Well, I think it was similar to... Well, I, first of all, Faith and More gets a lot of slack for helping create the new metal genre, which I don't well, necessarily... Rage gets that slack, which, Helmet gets that yeah, slack. Yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily you know. see that either, but what I, I think what interests me so much about Faith and More when I first started listening to him on this record, I, fir- I heard... Um, what was the first... Single? No, the uh, first for, album. Oh, well, they had two prior to this, but the We Care A Lot... It, it was, Introduce Yourself is right before yourself, this, yeah. yeah. And the previous singer, I did not care for at all, but when Mike Patton came on, plus having like Jim Martin, who is basically like another member of Metallica, with sure. the riffs that he was coming up with, having that and Roddy Bonhams, just all these weird people together. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, it looked like almost everybody looked like whatever genre they came from, too. Yeah. So yeah. it's just really weird. This really kind they of They look cool like united. a superhero team. Like, yeah. united from Mike all Borden different. is like, you know, this cool it can do with dreads and... Yeah. You know, Roddy Bottom looks like a He's nut with, job. He's uh, Ozzy now. Yeah. Gordonous. It's yeah. kind of cool. I was watching, me and a friend saw him on Jeopardy. Did you? <laughs> yeah. He didn't do very well. Uh, that's too unfortunately. bad. Well, a friend of ours actually just saw the Faith No More reunion show in Philadelphia. Yep. She said it was Her pretty was awesome. Fan, she was front row. Yeah, that's awesome. So I've got a Faith No More framed uh, art poster, art print in my room. It's pretty uh, pretty awesome that I got last summer. Oh, yeah. For the reunion that they were doing, I think, in Finland or something. Helsinki show. But... Zombie Eater has always been one of my favorite tunes, and this this record is just unbelievable from start to finish, from the the Black Sabbath cover to war, you know, doing War Pigs at the end, to even the singles. I mean, Epic still holds up. It's still a fun mm-hmm. song to listen to today. You know, from out of nowhere, kicks off the record. The real thing, the title cut is is a pretty epic song. Zombie Eaters has a lot of. I mean, it could be off of really progressive Metallica record or something. You know, it, it yeah. fits in with that. But uh, Mike Patton, obviously being you know the the big personality that's kind of dominated or at least kind of come out of this, and he's gone on to do a lot of things within the extreme metal genre. You know, well, Epicac, uh, I mean, was home of ISIS and a bunch of other things. Yeah, know, so. that's his label. But he also did this, you know, um, Dillinger Escape Plan. You know, yep. he was uh, with Fantomas. You know, so another uh, extreme metal connection is I remember Billy Gold, the bass player, used to wear Carcass and Napalm Death long sleeves all the time. Did in he videos. Really? Yeah, that is pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, or like yeah. it'd be in like Thrasher magazine in an interview or something. He'd have those on. Like, ah, all right, that's crazy. 
That's crazy. Yeah, and they're they're a band that's legacy is is held up pretty well. Um, you know, I mean, they made. I think they get more popular with age, actually. Yeah, because I think I think their innovation is starting to kind of come to light in a way. You know, they were so far ahead of themselves, and that's kind of the theme of where we're going uh, in this next set, uh, at least with the the first couple bands that really. Um, we're paving a path for, I guess, the next decade in a sense. Just as in, in a sense, Ministry and Godflesh were doing as mm-hmm. well, uh, in, a, in a different sort of way. You know, I mean, you talked about the visionariness of, of Justin Broderick and certainly Street Cleaner and some of the things that he did. Maybe didn't make sense to metal fans at the time, and even some of the decisions he made post Street Cleaner. You know, I mean, we were just listening to hymns in the car the other day. Damn and, good record. Uh, it sounded really good. You yeah. Know, and that's a record that you and I both dismissed when it first came I out. I got the promo and sold it. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> Unfortunately. I mean, uh, Broderick's, uh, he's a smart cat, you know, and I trust his instincts. And most of the time, I trust Mike Patton's instincts. He's uh, pretty good. I mean, he makes a couple, uh, you know, whips. He's not as focused. Yeah. He's but, trying uh, to do everything, you know. Yeah. That's, that's his problem. I mean, do you blame him? You know. If I was in his position, I'd be doing exactly the exactly. same thing. Exactly, he's you know doing hip hop, he's doing lounge singing, you know, mm-hmm. Nathaniel Merriweather and all that stuff. But well, next up, uh, the divisive band, which will probably alienate this record not so much people uh, in some sense, but just the word itself means. Uh, See, I always like means, when the word word is followed by a two thousand two. I like it better. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and it has connotations, but you know, certainly I've argued, uh, I think, passionately that Nirvana had a big influence in positive ways on the metal scene, in terms of opening a lot of doorways that hadn't been opened prior to that. But uh, Bleach, you know, certainly this is pre, you know, Nevermind, pre Break, you know, this is yeah before they blew up um, and everybody in the grandma knew who they were. Yeah, and so it still has some kind of street cred to it. I guess in a sense, and you got Dale Crover from the Melvins playing on the cut we're going to hear next, Paper Cuts, which also, I'll, I'll go on a limb, and Kuhn and I used to love this song, and still do, um, it has a very Slayer-esque chorus riff, it sounds like something from Seasons in the Abyss, and Kurt Cobain was a big Slayer fan, actually, he actually, and uh, Melvins fan, yeah, uh, and he requested Andy Wallace to master Nevermind, because he loved Andy Wallace's mastering of Seasons of the Abyss and South of Heaven, nice, so, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, I think Kurt gets pegged with like all the responsibility of single handedly like destroying eighties metal or something like that. But eighties metal was on the way out anyways. Yeah. This was it was just something else to happen. He was just the poster boy for the whole thing basically. Yeah, you just you, there's just a lot of vitriol kind of thrown at him. Mm-hmm. But uh, Bleach is an interesting record. Pre Dave Grohl, you know, you had Chad Channing on drums for most of it. But on this track, like I said, Dale Crover from the Melvins uh, drumming, and you know, Cobain would later kind of hook up with the Melvins on Houdini and help him produce and write stuff and. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's he's an important figure in the extreme metal world, you know. And then, speaking of the Melvins, we have Ozma. And uh, kind of a classic, one of their first uh, classic full lengths. I believe this is the record that had uh, Shirley Temple's daughter, a strange yeah, daughter on bass. Locks, I think they call her on here. Uh, but Ozma, I had this on cassette tape when I was younger, and I still uh, haven't picked it up on on uh, Boner Records, <laughs> um, uh, it's it's released. The version you have has the gluey porch treatments as well, which I have that in a separate CD. But we did a Melvin show not too long back with our uh, a buddy Grand Corcoon, so he'd be proud to know that we're playing a Melvin song for 1989. What else came out on Boner? Uh, well, the Melvins have a lot of things on Boner, but I, I don't know. Maybe maybe some like Henry Rollins like spoken word CDs or something okay. like that. It's but, a Berkeley, California outfit. Yeah, so you got me. You got me. Uh, but the Melvins again, hailing from Seattle, uh, Seattle area. I shouldn't. I should say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, same in Nirvana, Seattle area. 
But uh, the tune of Allison Chains, Seattle yeah, area. That's true. Soundgarden, Seattle area. Uh, but Oven, the, this actually appears in some other places. We actually played this song many moons ago when we did the Pig Destroyer show. That's right. Because it's on the... Uh, oh Terrifier? Boy. No, it's the one prior to... 38 Counts? Yeah. Yeah? I think so. Sorry, I'm thinking... <laughs> Yeah, I think so. Okay. I think it's on that one. Yeah, they do a Melvin's cover. Or is it cover. Prowler in the Yard? No, it's not Prowler. Okay, it's it, probably 38 it's, Counts. It's 38 Counts. But, uh, yeah, Oven, cool tune. Short but sweet, but mm-hmm. you kind of get all the elements, the sludge core, the the, the Doom elements. And, and Doom and sludge stuff was going to become a popular thing in the 90s with a lot of bands kind of resurrecting that style. Well, so Dale Corver's drums uh, Doom. On, the, on this song in particular are <laughs> uh, almost deliberately con- they they uh, they counter your expectations. We'll put it that way. You, you think he's going to hit something, and there's a space. Yeah, exactly. But he's on time the whole time, which is which is interesting. But it's it kind of goes to you know back up the whole assumption that the Melvins either are doing awesome stuff or they're just fucking with you. Exactly. And it's probably <laughs> somewhere. The truth lies in between. I think yeah. somewhere. You know, and I've had the opportunity to see these guys live quite a few times, and they always put on a, a pretty decent show. Um, but you know, you even hear elements of that frustration when you put on like records like Dope Throne from Electric Wizard, you mm-hmm. know, which is very like you know always always wanting to like <laughs> to go, yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. And uh, but this is going to lead us into uh, a whole nother direction. Actually, um, we're going to jump ship across the ocean and uh, head back up to Northern Europe for a little bit ah. uh, with Candlemass. And uh, speaking of doom and gloom with uh, tales of creation and a tune called tears but we will uh we'll, we'll talk more about Candlemass and the whole swedish thing when we come back because Candlemass is going to open the gateway into the swedish death metal scene so, ah yes uh, stay tuned for for that following Candlemass. so we've got nirvana paper cuts from bleach and oven from melvin's ozma followed by Candlemass's tales of creation and tears and then a couple of surprises and we'll talk about sweden when we come back
I do believe nihilist only shreds remain demo the song face of evil face which of evil. Uh, has some very the opening riff sounds very like uh, much like grave yeah uh, and some of the, like right after that kind of riff breaks it goes into something that almost sounds like it came off Wolverine blues yeah rotten soil I think you you're yeah which out. is which is a weird <laughs> you don't hear that that much I guess variation or very specific tones out of that early entomb stuff yeah it but, was pretty cohesive but and that's why we we chose that song uh, we were kind of leaning originally towards playing uh, when life is seized from the drown demo um, from 89 but which was re-recorded back on left hand path but you know we figured most people maybe haven't heard face of evil because you know even though elements of the song have shown up in other mm-hmm. places but the song itself it wasn't re-recorded by Entomb. And i believe that this was put out by candlelight right in a uh, compilation in 2000 the man originally put it out 
uh, or three, three, man. three man recordings. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, Candlelight put out in the U.S. Okay, you should be able to get it off Candlelight site or Amazon or whatever. Yeah. But it's very worthwhile CD to have. Absolutely essential. And Nihilist, for those of you who are, uh, of course, unaware, we already kind of let the cat out of the bag. But it becomes in tune. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's the roots and foundation of what would. And uh, anybody that's familiar with Unleashed. Mm-hmm. Will uh, maybe recognize that sure as hell sounds like Johnny Headland on uh, on vocals. Yeah, and he was the bass player in Nihilist before he left or got kicked out, and then he went and formed. Oh, he's the old guy. Yeah, he was, he was <laughs> the weird old guy hanging yeah. out with us. But uh, you know, it, supposedly the credits go to LG, the the vocalist for Entomb now, but it doesn't sound a lot like him. So. I'm pretty yeah, I'm pretty versed in. All, even like his Comic-Con performances so I, I kind of I don't really hear anything of him in yeah. that at all yeah and so but Johnny claims no but I don't know it's probably one of those things they'll take to their grave it's like a, the clandestine Johnny Dordevic thing exactly. you know kind of mystery you know mystery abound but Nihilist uh, the Nihilist demos from 89 were just as legendary as the grotesque demos mm-hmm. and a lot of those things and they um you know, I mean, this they were a band that was influenced by Autopsy, uh, which we'll be talking about Autopsy in a little bit, and Repulsion, and... The Vomit from Norway. Vomit, yeah. Uh, Atheist, uh, yeah. or Ravage, as they were called back then. You know, so they, they're they drawing influences internationally, and they're going to single-handedly, uh, I guess to some extent, along with Tiamat, which we heard prior to that, uh, put Sweden and Swedish death metal kind of on the map. Well, and within... Two years, I mean, they changed their sound so much that by the time Left Hand Path came out, mm-hmm. they were pretty much, they were done with that, I think, style. Yeah. And then Clandestine comes out, totally different thing. Wolverine Blues, same thing, Completely and it just goes different. on from there, yeah. you know? Yeah, Entombed has is, is really ran away from their original roots, in a sense, but yet, they always have, well, I wouldn't say always, because I think they have that, like, really kind of strange period with same difference and things where they're almost Black Juju? Like, they were just so far away from their their roots, but they've since in the two thousands kind of come back and mm-hmm. replanted themselves into some of the death and roll kind of sound that that, that they well they they came back and did Uprising, which I think was a fantastic record. Yeah, Uprising. I really like the one after that. Was that Morning Star? Morning Star, and then the uh, one in Sodom EP is really good. Yeah. The full length. I even like the opera thing they did. That was pretty pretty hip. Oh, the Unreal Estate yeah. ballet deal? Yeah. yeah. That was kind of... Yeah, not opera, ballet. So they haven't really done a terrible record yet. No. I mean, I it's, didn't really you, dig Serpent Saints too much, but it's it's just... It's okay. I don't listen to it that much. It's got two good songs on it. Yeah. It's one guitar player that never really wrote any of the songs or writing the songs now, yeah, that's so... That's true. That's, that's kind of tough these days, but... Sorry, Alex, but that's the truth. Yeah. <laughs> definitely, definitely get a hold of uh, the Nihilist demos. This was a kind of a blessing in disguise to get this uh, kind of, you know falling through the, the well and while your credit card's out get dismember the complete demos mm-hmm. that came out through candlelight i believe as well also very good and speaking of early early swedish death metal stuff uh we had tiamat uh sumerian cry in the shrines of the kingly dead prior to that yes and um uh, these guys originally were called treblinka which unfortunate is name not a not a popular name yeah. uh you know, i think that was probably more for uh well, shock value shock value of course but luckily they changed their name quickly after that and uh i don't think their subject matter ever reflected any kind of concentration camp not Nazi really. themes no. but they were into the occult stuff a little bit early mm-hmm. on and, and some of that but then they kind of even i mean it's, it's that, that it's that teenage fascinism with 
uh, fascism and everything else, all Air the communism the or whatever. Yeah. You know, like I was, I was really into that stuff. I'm too. assuming that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'd go to the army surplus store and find like a like the Slayer looking uh, eagle thing. Like, sure. oh, this is cool. I wouldn't put on my coat, but I mean, there's, there's a know, fascination with evil. There's a reason that uh, you know History Channel plays so much Hitler stuff, and that so many kids Hitler's are mummies, interested yeah. in the, the Holocaust and stuff. It's not because they're supported or anything. It's just you know, it's a taboo it's, subject. Well, it's fascinating strange. that some one person could have done so much evil and yeah. horror. Yeah, absolutely, but. Tiamat themselves, again, like we mentioned before, like grotesque and even like, uh, you know, nihilist that you heard, you know, uh, just the last song you heard there, completely different sound coming out of Sweden. So mm-hmm. Sweden has all these little pockets of different sounds. How would you describe the, the Tiamat sound, like, I guess, in comparison to what we heard earlier with grotesque and, and nihilist, you know, it's, Com- it's coming out more like the Bathory like Celtic Frost kind of roots? A little, a little bit, bit but more, there's still or? a lot of speed to it, but it's just, there, there's no... I think they're almost more about the entire overall vibe of the song instead of like they're a precision band. guitar. Yeah. Like there's no, everything's kind of like draped, yeah. you know, in some kind of atmosphere. That was kind of the TMS. The thing. sound that way is not is not incredibly expansive too. It's very thick and kind of uh, it almost sounds like a like a live mm-hmm. recording or something. There, there's never a whole lot of definition in guitars. I think this was another uh, Skaksberg recording, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, the last Entomb that we just heard was Skaksberg's first. That was the first thing he did. Yeah. Or at least the first time the first he metal with, thing uh, he did you know, with these guys, yeah. Uh, and so that's kind of important. So Thomas Skaksberg will become kind of the face of, and Tiamat will go to be the face of terrible goth rock. They but will. We, they have quite a few good records yeah, in them until say, you hit that point. Some good ones prior to that. And then we started uh, the well, we didn't. We started off with Nirvana and the Melvins, but we were talked about them. But we started the Swedish trio off with Candlemass, Tales of Creation, and Tears. Um, and this is just a tune that when we did the Candlemass show, we didn't play this song off this record. We did play quite a few songs from it, so I decided mm-hmm. to pick a, you know, kind of just an, another. You know, variety of songs rather than play the title track. Or it shows off a lot of uh, the oak a lot of Messiah's vibrato skills. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. Yeah, and uh, some great solos. And mm-hmm. uh, I mean, that you, what can you say about Candlemass? We were saying that they're not an immediate band. I think that was your quote. Uh, yeah, like when you're a kid, it's not something like you just turn on. And you're like, oh, this is great. It's something you got to kind of like you got to dig in deep. Yeah, sort it out because and the, you got to listen to it a lot. The riffs are awesome, but then yeah. the vocals you you don't fit with the riffs always. You know, and yeah, the timings kind of challenging. The solos and are so like for doom metal. They're they're well, they're not only sparse, but they're also pretty flamboyant sometimes, which was they'll be like a flurry. Yeah, because everything is yeah, and, exactly. you know, Leaf will go nuts, but so it's a it's a strange strange band, but one that I, I hold near and dear. And this is kind of the last uh, classic Candlemass record, Tales of Creation. It's the last one of Messiah, correct? Yeah. Well, he comes back periodically for stuff, but like, yeah, it's the last great kind of masterpiece with no, Messiah. Got, uh, He'll leave after this record, and I think he comes back. Rob somewhere. Lowe's with him now, though. Yeah, Rob Lowe. Rob Lowe. Not the actor, but the from dude from uh, Solitude Eternus, right? It's not the guy from St. Elmo's Fire? No, that would be awesome. I'm slightly <laughs> disappointed then. <laughs> I'm pissed. I was just reading the 20th uh, anniversary of St. Elmo's Fire, or 25th anniversary of St. Elmo's Fire. Mm. Uh, it's this month, actually. So let's celebrate that. But I that think. wasn't from 1989. Yeah. Ali Sheedy. But uh, anyways. Train wreck, she is. Um, we've now sort of entered, or I guess opened the casket into death metal, so we should probably kind of, you know get into it a little bit more and speaking of we talked about Skoxberg kind of being the uh, the ultimate producer 
we're now going to enter the confines of the the, the swampy lands of Tampa, Florida, ah, and uh, Florida e- explore uh, the the Morris Sound. Sound. Yeah. This kind of sounds derivative, but uh, then that's really what it was. It became a whole scene that really built itself up around this this Tampa, Florida. You know, it became the Florida death metal scene. Well, and people came from all over the world to get that sound too. Yeah, which is kind of funny. Now you think about, it, and there wasn't. It was a definitive sound, or like a definite sound, but it wasn't necessarily a great produced sound. No, but it, it definitely had its charm. And it, and it captured, I guess it captured instruments with a little bit of more clarity than they were used to in the whole, you know, death metal recording scene. Because mm-hmm. a lot of these bands, like with, uh, you know, Morbid Angel, Atheist, Pestilence, Pestilence, Obituary, uh, obituary. <laughs> yeah, same difference. Um, a lot of these, like, they were getting... They're all three of those bands are very different, but every one of them had very distinct like needs as far as that. Like Morbid Angel had to have those guitars captured, otherwise, well, sure. what's the band? Yeah, you know, Trey's, Pete's Trey's drums band, had and, to be captured he, to get yep. the full scope of everything. Same with Obituary, they were, but they were the opposite end where it was almost these long. It was the tone of their guitar that mm-hmm. really needed to sell more than the flamboyancy because there wasn't any there. In Atheist, you needed to be able to hear the technicality in the mix of the mud of the, and the speed, speed. Yeah, you know? so. Yeah. And we're going to start things off in in the the muddy confines or the swampy confines with atheists. And we mentioned the influence that atheists or ravage, as they used to be known, had on nihilists prior to that. And um, but Peace of Time was the debut atheist uh, record, and it featured Roger Patterson, who um, sadly passed away. Kind of the Cliff this. Burton of uh, death metal. Kind of, yeah. In a sense, you know, this great, you know, just like almost played the bass like a lead, like a lead mm-hmm. guitar. Um, you know, Tony Choi comes in on the next Atheist, and he's a great bass player. Like, he didn't have the fury, tes- though, that Patterson did, and stuff. But, yeah, he didn't have that rage. He was yeah. more technical without the energy, you know, to back it up. But, um, you know, definitely goes in the long line of great kind of death metal bass players, along with, like, Steve DiGiorgio, who we'll be hearing from. Rumor has it pretty soon here. And uh, But piece of time, it's, it's not as... Uh, Intricate as unquestionable presence or elements or some of the later atheist records, but it definitely toes the line between like hyper thrash, like you what you hear with Sadus, mm-hmm. and death metal. You know, and even like you know elements like Dark Angel and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. too. Yeah, but Kelly Schaefer, uh, definitely a kind of a a pretty awesome vocalist, and on they slay and guitar player. Yeah, great nice. great guitar player along with. Uh, can't remember Rand Rund or Rand is the guy that plays guitar. Yeah, Rand something. Rand Berkey, maybe. He kind of had like an Adrian Smith look. Yeah, Rand Berkey. Yeah, and then okay. uh, good old Steve Flynn on drums. So yep. got to see these guys uh, a summer a summer ago. They're pretty solid. Yeah, they're really them. good. So, but uh, so we're as Mark already mentioned, we're going to transition from Atheist into Morbid Angel and uh, Alters of Madness. I mean. If what you don't you have say? this record, shame on you. You should go buy it right now. I mean, this might be the most important record from 1989. Uh, it's it's it, arguable, but it, it's, it depends it's on what, what angle you're going for. But I can't think of a. This record blew up death metal. We we have to admit that. Morbid Angel. That's really another became. one on our list, though, right here. True, but they started from a different roots for a debut record. For a debut record, this yeah, kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah. And just you know, like no one had heard guitar playing like Trey before, mm-hmm. and certainly Pete's drums were so like in your face and over the top. And Dave Vincent, one of the probably greatest death metal vocalists of all time. Well, he had that the uncanny thing of 
growling, but you could understand every word he was saying. He had a, he had a very good diction to his <laughs> to his screaming. Sure. And you know, some people really dig on Blesser the Sick and how tight it is. Uh, but for my money, I like sort of the loose energy of Alters of Madness a little bit. It's better. almost like you're you know veering off the road every every yeah. song. There's just so much energy and power to yeah. it. It's like you you kind of get whiplash on every song because you don't really yeah. know where it's it's going. When I remember seeing the videos for. Um, Immortal rights. I think Immortal rights is on that the hard and heavy grind crusher heavy, special, yep. and just seeing on the back. I don't know if this one has the same photos. No, this has different photos. The one there was a photo of Trey on the the original earache version where he's got it almost looks like his face was smashed in. He's got blood all over his face. Oh, I've seen that one. And as a kid, I was like, oh my god, this guy's <laughs> fucking nuts. What's going on? And then seeing them live in those those video clips, I was like, wow, these guys are the real deal. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And then hearing David Denson talking about humanism and Satanism and, you know, you don't move your tray by and just pick this up. As a young, impressionable kid, that was, like, that was pretty intense. Yeah, this is one of the one of the first death metal records we bought outright amongst my group of friends uh, was Covenant. And then we went back and I got Altars and then Blessed and stuff. But uh, I heard this stuff through the Grind Crusher, you know, that Chapel of the Ghouls and Maze of Torments mm-hmm. and Immortal Rites. So... Uh, definitely a big influence on my on me for sure. And then we're gonna uh, kind of transition, continue through Florida with Obituary Solo Rot, which was their uh, their debut full length. Uh, mm-hmm. They used to be called Executioner, but uh, spelled uh, uniquely too. I yeah, think. yeah, it was X Dash Cutioner, yes. I think, or something like That's that. That's probably true. I have some of those demos laying around, but I, I, yeah, because didn't they have a comeback record, Executioner's Return? Uh, something like that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And slowly we rot. What's interesting about this song and, and this record is uh, Tardy didn't really have lyrics. He just kind of made he up just stuff, made a, which made sound fine. Yeah, it was cool, but a different sound uh, than Morbid and Atheist. Definitely slower, uh, but you know, there's some there's some kind of breakdowns where where Don they're, Tardy kind of they're in know, the groove camp. Yep, you know for sure they're and definitely in the. Uh, the Celtic Frost worship camp as well. For sure. Yeah, I mean, they're they wouldn't exist tone, Frost. tone for town, just like... And, I mean, Frost. most of the breakdowns, too, are Celtic Frost breakdowns. Yeah, and we talked a lot about Cause of Death on, on last week's episode, uh, you know, 1990, so... But uh, I was just telling Mark, I found something on YouTube today. If you if you find it, it's from Milwaukee Metal Fest 1990 obituary. There's, like, an atomic explosion on stage. It's pretty entertaining <laughs> to watch. But uh, they keep headbanging through the whole thing. So. Of course. That's and then we're going do. over to California after that with uh, Autopsy and Terrorizer. And we'll talk a little bit more about the uh, the Cali scene and how they were a little bit different than the Florida scene when we come back. So enjoy On They Slay from Atheist Piece of Time. Suffocation, which features a great uh, bass breakdown from Dave Vincent from Alters of Madness, Morbid Angel. And then the title track from Slowly We Rock from our boys, Obituary. Oh, yeah. 
That was Injustice from Terrorizer's World Downfall. Before that, we heard Ridden with Disease from Severed Survival Autopsy, and then we heard Obituary, Morbid Angel, and Atheist prior to that, which we already talked about. But uh, the Cali scene, I mean, we've talked a lot about Terrorizer. We did an entire... uh, you know, see, entire episode devoted to World Downfall because yeah. of its importance as a kind of a grindcore classic. Yeah, and if you want to hear some uh, any kind of uh, you know stories or uh, anything about that, I would recommend going there because we are running out of time. Quickly. Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> but uh, you know, definitely, you know, some of the guys from uh, Morbid Angel were on this. Dave Vincent uh, and Pete Sandoval, you know, mm-hmm. doing the drums. Uh, it's short but sweet, but I mean political, you know, intelligent grindcore, but also some death metal grooves. Well, and Justin know. Pintado, who would later go on to uh, basically is on this next tar- as we're death, be playing, which yeah. we're going to be talking about here in a second. And then Autopsy, Severed Survival, they were kind of an oddball death metal band from America because they're so, I mean, very very doomy, mm-hmm. but yet sloppy, but yet deceptively sloppy you know i think but it was more it was i think it was more, almost like more of a, a vibe what they're playing because they're very professional i mean we saw them at so Metal Fest this year yeah. tight as hell but the the stuff mixes between you know sabbath death all that kind of stuff all mm-hmm. kind of like mixed together and i think one of the biggest the solely the largest influence on dismember you know, yeah yeah statement with that. but the whole uh burgeoning swedish scene was pretty enamored with autopsy with autopsy and they were interesting because they weren't signed to earache or to roadrunner unlike most of the other american mm-hmm. death metal bands or metal blade like cannibal corpse and stuff but uh they were uh, on peaceville this kind of you know avant-garde kind of strange label that had dark throne and paradise loss and anathema Electro and Hippies. yeah i mean just strange stuff you know doom yeah. and it kind of fit with them in a way but uh ridden with disease is, is my favorite autopsy song and I, I went absolute fucking bonkers when they played it live <laughs> uh mark can attest to that i was i was sitting on top of the metal cage just like going crazy uh looking over top the audience but uh Speaking of terrorizer and grindcore, let's uh, let's cross paths uh, across the pond to, to England. Ah. And this record from Napalm Death, Harmony Corruption, this was a, a game changer for these guys because it really moved them out of the punk grind scene and uh, pretty firmly into the death metal scene. Uh, they uh, went to Florida <coughs> outside to record of with Scott uh, Burns and yeah. More Sound, and I mean they slowed down mm-hmm. a lot. They uh, they got the groove. They got Which some they lineup had changes. The groove on certain songs like Scum and things. But like that. But this it's come really bubbles re- to the top. Yeah, right they now. really play off the groove. A and lot a lot of people were pissed. Yeah, which I was fine with it because I thought the other stuff was too much. Yeah, well, at you the didn't time. know any better too because you're yeah. so young, you know. Uh, the first thing I heard from Napalm Death were songs off of this. Stuff for the Children was in constant rotation at Headbringers Ball, yep. too. I heard that. That was one of the first Napalm songs, if not the first Napalm song I ever heard. Yeah. You know? And uh, Harmony Corruption. I mean, I, I know we've talked to Albert. Uh, and we'll talk more about Albert in a second when we re-mention the contest. But he said that he would love to do a second Napalm uh, Hall of Fame for this record. Because it's I think so. so it's a fantastic record. Scum, but it also had a huge influence because I think it showed that grindcore bands could mature into death metal. Well, and I and, think after this came out, Brutal Truth uh, Extreme Conditions came out, which is almost like, you know, basically using this as a springboard to yeah. like polish grindcore, which Pig Destroyer is similar to that, right? Absolutely. Yeah, Pig Destroyer uses a lot of the grooves that Napalm mm-hmm. kind of, you know, employed here. And also the first full length with Barney Greenway. Yep. You know, so. Formerly of Benediction. Yeah, and uh, is Jesse Pintado on this record? This is the first Jesse yeah, Pintado first, record? Uh, y- yes. Yeah, he wasn't on, um, uh, I can't remember the. Our, uh, Utopia Banished? No, that was after. No, this. Utopia Banished comes after. So. Why can't I think of it? I, there was drawn, an EP before I'm that. Drawn, like, mentally murdered, he may have been on, which is came out, or Mass Appeal Madness. 
I think he was. I don't even know. There's so many napalm stuff. Go yeah. check out. Uh, it's hard Wikipedia to, or something. Yeah, the discography gets mixed <laughs> up in my head a little bit, but uh, definitely Harmony Corruption. Good stuff. Uh, something you need to grab. And a couple other British bands that we're going to kind of be playing. Oh, we're going to be playing "If the Truth Be Known," which uh, is the truth. Great breakdown in the beginning. Just yeah. really awesome stuff with uh, the drums and, and and things. But Realm of Chaos. Uh, Thor, my Eternal first war. My first death metal CD. Uh, your first love. My well, first, uh, yes, I, I liked it so much I got a free tattoo of it. Yeah, but no, Bolthor was one of those bands that uh, you know initially I was drawn to the uh, the imagery, the whole thing because I was a uh, I was into the gaming back then yeah, a little bit. Hey, yeah. I, I uh, did the role playing gaming myself. So Not Warhammer, uh, but so and actually Games Workshop this uh, this. Basically, it was a, like a miniature game, you know, where you have the little painted miniatures. Mm-hmm. Games Workshop was a British company that actually partnered with Bolthrow to... It seems like a totally fucking bizarre idea, but well, it made like me Marvel a fan. like Marvel Comics and Wolverine Blues. That, that made know. less sense. This was actually... At least they're both about war, but... Yeah. <laughs> they had a White Dwarf magazine, which yeah. was the, the total, you know, the nerd out, you know, learn how to paint your miniatures better or whatever, learn new rules. Had a write-up on Bolthrow, and I remember going out and buying this, sitting in English class with Chris... And this was the first time we ever heard the really deep guttural vocals like this. Well, and the guitars are so down tune. I mean, it's and it's something like hell. you almost did, like when I buy, I'd like a couple years previously, I bought like a Crass record and I couldn't figure out what speed to play it on. Yeah. But this was a CD, so I was like, this is how it's supposed to be. <laughs> I was like, this is just unbelievable. It was just like a game changer. Like, you know, hair in the neck stands up, and I was like, it just something like an immediate connection. Yeah. Like, okay, this is this is the stuff I I, Change, I just I can't live without. Yeah. Change your constitution. And speaking of changing constitutions, another British band that uh, really changed their their style up, uh, album to album, yeah, from album to album. But but Symphonies of Sickness is really what I think. Reek Reek is a great record; it's fun to listen to. But Symphonies is where I think people really start to kind of take Carcass seriously as musicians and compositionally, and they figure things out a little bit more. Yeah. It wasn't just whatever sticks to the wall go with it, you know. And this, you know, for a lot of people, a lot of Carcass purists, this is the the record. So. But, uh, yeah, Symphonies of Sickness, and we've got uh, Swarming Vulgar Mass of Infected Virulency. It's, uh, times fast. It, it's, it's a catchy little tune. It is a good tune. So, uh, definitely, and we've spoken so much about Carcass that, you know. Go uh, check out the Carcass episode. Yeah. Everybody knows about Carcass. Read Choosing but, Death from, you know, yeah. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. And then we're going to close 1989, our uh, most crucial year of metal. Let's go back across history. the lake. Let's go. Let's go to Brazil. Wow. It's like a global metal. We're just geographically traveling everywhere. And we got Slaves of Pain from Beneath the Remains from Sepultura, which this was a pretty big record. I, the very big record, yeah. uh, kind of tied the thrash and the death metal scenes kind of together, mm-hmm. pretty uh, pretty intimately. And again, another Scott Burns, uh, more sound production. So the guy, uh, yeah, the guy gets wrong around, until man. Uh, yeah, he started hearing. He's like herpes. Death like silence production started putting stuff about yeah. the you know the anti Scott Burns. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> Which it almost became a trend in, in metal for a while. Got, yeah, got burnt out, but. These are four great bands, four classic records, and uh, a fine way to close out. Uh, Would you say a fine way to exit? A fine way to exit, yes. And um, please let us know what you thought. Episode 100. I know we've kind of ranted and raved for a while here. Uh, hopefully you've enjoyed what you've heard. Uh, shoot us an email at requiempodcast at gmail.com. Look for the contest. That Look we in the sidebar. It'll be on the right sidebar on uh, requiempodcast.com. Yeah. And uh, definitely leave us some comments on iTunes and things like that. Check us out on Facebook, Mark and Jason. And, uh, yeah, most of all, thank you for uh, for being listeners for these first 100. And we look forward to uh, the next 100 for sure. So sure. For, uh, for a very special episode, I'm Jason. And I'm Mark. Let's, uh, let's shake Shaking hands. All right. And we're going to have a drink on you. Oh, plastic. Delicious. 
Stop the time.